episode six of Pint Size Reptile Podcast. This is one that uh, I'm super interested in because uh, I fell in love with these at uh, NARBC Arlington, and I can't afford them right now, but I will at some point, so I just I need to find out more about them. So we're going to talk about Kimberly Rock Monitors. Before we get there, though, uh, how are y'all doing? Doing good. Doing well. Any any news, anything collection-wise? Nope. Uh, rubber boas are all out, back in their normal cages. Um, I was telling you off-air, I did pick up a, another sand boa. See, every time we do a episode, it kind of gets my wheels spinning on something. <laughs> eh, it didn't hurt to have another sand boa. Nope, you can always use more. I mean, um, speaking of, I did want to clarify something I said during the Sanboa one. I had mentioned listening to another podcast where they talked about having um, an egg and live birth. So that was during their Sanboa podcast, but they were actually referencing a, a three-toed skink that yeah. was the actual animal that had. So I guess it had three eggs, and then two weeks later it had a, a live baby from the same pregnancy. Yeah, it's a three-toed, first. three-toed yeah. skink in Australia. I've used it several times in class for uh, – I've got an article on it. We use it for like a writing sample. Yeah. And I guess this one was unique um, only because they've never seen it before from one pregnancy do that. Yeah. So it's yeah, they've got, they've got the different populations that'll do it. The higher mm-hmm. elevation ones, but seeing it happen, both processes happen in one animal is a bit more unique. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And like I said, with Sambos, it's gone back and forth. So it's not, it's not a linear path on the evolution of eggs or no eggs. It's, it goes back and forth between having eggs and no eggs. So, all right. Well, then let's get into our conversation on Kimberly Rockmonders. So, let me bring in our guest. And since Travis contacted, I'll let Travis introduce him. Travis, you ready? Yes, sir. All right. Go for it, Travis. So, as James said, we're going to be talking about Kimberly Rockmonders. And for that, we have brought on Mike Stefani from Mike's Monitors. He's a, a fantastic source for all kinds of monitor talk and he definitely has the passion behind him that goes with it as well. So thought that he'd be just a real good ambassador for the species as it were. Yeah. I've seen welcome Mike. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. I've seen your setup. I think it was, uh, Oh, was it Dave that came to your place in video? He come here and then did a room tour and a little chat yeah, you, you basically just so, just so um everyone who who knows, uh Dave, you know, he has a standard and a channel. Uh he missed another whole part of my room. So if you go to my YouTube channel and do the the Mike's monitors room tour, you'll see everything. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's just another small room with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but it's like zoo quality enclosures, which is just awesome to see. Well, uh, let me say that's probably why he didn't hit the other room. It, they're still nice quality enclosures, but they're not really decked out like this. I'm still working on that portion of my room, so I, it didn't make his cut. It made mine. <laughs> uh, that's the important thing, as long as you're happy with what you're doing and how you're progressing. Because well, I you think all what? of us can say it's a progressive hobby. No yeah. matter where you are, you can always do better. Right. Actually, what happened was I had gotten uh, a group of uh, five sulfur monitors, absolutely gorgeous. And it was kind of a spur of moment thing. My wife at first said, no, nah, we, we, we can't afford that. And, and then so I brokered a deal with some guy, another guy. And 
the deal was done in like five minutes. And when he called me back in the morning, he, I don't know, I don't want to say he got cold feet, but he wasn't gung-ho like he was the night before. And he wanted more pictures and whatnot. So I called my wife who works with uh, the guy, the guy who I got him from owns a wholesale reptile business above my wife's business, which is a tropical fish wholesaler. And, and I, to make a long story short, um, the guy wanted more pictures. I told the guy who had the sulfurs, he wanted more pictures that didn't go over real big. So I waited a few hours and I called my wife back and I said, Hey, you know, is he going to get the pictures for this guy? He goes, no, they're sold." my wife said, no, they're sold. And I'm like, Oh man, Karen, where did they go? I gotta, I gotta keep track of them. Cause they're gorgeous. She goes, Oh, you don't got well, nothing to worry about. I'm like, why? What are you talking about? She goes, well, I bought them. We're gonna <laughs> I gotta love that woman, man. <laughs> that oh, that's is, great. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. But uh, so we want to focus. I know you've got how many species of monitor are you up to now? Oh uh, man, you know, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm at like eight. I'm at eight species right now. Jeez. And how many individual animals? Oh, that's another. Let's see, that's five. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard for me to say. We'll say, say just rough. None of us count, right? Number <laughs> Never count. <laughs> over 25. Wow. Because I have a lot of holdbacks that I'm raising up for, you know, the future. Um, so, you know, there species-wise, like I say, I have, I have like eight, I believe, eight or nine. And then individual animal eyes, anywhere between 25 and up. So let's We can just keep it like that. <laughs> that works. That's a lot of work for animals with legs, though. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you know what? That's what I, I try to tell people. You know, I come from a snake background. I was a colubrid guy and a rainbow boa guy, you know, um, for a long, long time. I, I, was, I still do. I really love uh, North American desert rat snakes. And that was my passion and rainbow boas for years and years. And um, then I was doing a, a local reptile show here, which is kind of really it's uh, in Illinois. It's pretty infamous. A lot of big names come out of this show when we were all young. This was a long time ago. And somebody wanted to trade me something for one of my rainbow boa babies, which at the time were pretty expensive. Um and he said, you want to trade for a peach throw monitor? I'm like, nah, I don't want no monitors. I'm because I'm thinking like, you know, lizard shitting all over the place on the leaves. And, you know, and I've always been a naturalistic setup kind of guy. So, you know, geckos and the knolls like that, that crap on the glass and plants and rock work was never really like, you know, appealing to me. And uh, so I've always thought of like, um, Nile monitors, uh, Asian water monitors, and Savannah monitors. Wasn't really into them, so I didn't know how many beautiful and awesome species there are. So this guy brings over a peach throw to my table, and man, that was probably like 25, probably 30 years ago. When I seen that peach throw monitor, I was like, wow, I, I didn't even know an animal like this existed. So we did the trade, needless to say, no problem. And shortly thereafter that, I had a house full of monitors and all the snakes were gone. And I've just been on that rock and roll ever since, man. It, I There's just something about monitors 
that I like. They're everyday. They're very super intelligent, easy to work with uh, if you know what you're doing. And it's not like it's hard or anything, but man, they're action packed and they're they're an everyday deal. There's there's no time off with them. Yeah, that's a couple of things that have kind of kept me. I've had I've had some here and there, and they were purely uh, I, I should never have had them. I think I had a uh, a definitely wild caught Savannah monitor at one point. That was a fucking nightmare. Uh, yeah, got, I got rid of that one. Uh, I had someone give me a blue tail monitor before I even knew what the hell it was. That was a nightmare. Got rid of that one. And I had blue tailed monitors. Um, are any of those being produced in captivity, or are they all import? Yeah, there, there's there's hardly any. I I bred the peace ropes back in the day, um, which and I I did it you know successfully three or four times. I've gotten like nine hatchlings. Not that's not an easy species to breed. Um, and my theory on it is because. They're from the wild, so people generally, you know, you take what you get with wild-caught imports. Mm-hmm. And they're a little bit bigger and set in their ways and, you know, come with a heavy parasite load, major dehydration. So just just getting them, just getting them to live <clears throat> is a whole step, let alone getting them into breeding condition. It's, it's you know, a whole nother thing. So uh, it wasn't easy doing my peach throats, which are all kind of like in the Indicus complex. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, there was something about them peach throats, man. I, I just love them. And, and I just worked my butt off with them. And, uh, you know, after a couple of years of um, like uh, deworming them and getting them hydrated. And uh, of course, you can't really just keep them in a plain Jane setup. You got to give them hiding spots. They're real skittish coming out of the wild. So that's the biggest problem with blue tails and indicus types. Um, there are some indicus being bred, some peach throats, but the blue tails and um, the tricolors, no, nobody that I know of, you know, even over all these years have done any good with them. Yeah. Mine, mine was not a fan of being messed with. No. Uh, and I also had someone give me an Aki one point before I ever knew what Aki's were. They're like, here's a spiny tailed monitor. I was like, sure, I'll take that. And I ended up getting rid of that one too. I just, I'm, I'm a snake person and I enjoy the fact that I can ignore my snakes for a week and they don't give a damn. But I know with monitors, yeah. you can't do that. You've got to spend time, especially if you want to be able to handle it, you've got to spend time with it. Yep. So that's what's kept me out of them right now, too. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's, there's, other people out there who have like socializing videos and how to, you know, I, I hate the word with monitors. I hate the word tame yeah. because they're wild animals, whether they're captive born or not. And, and, you know, if they were in the wild, they would want nothing to do with humans. Uh, but, you know, a few techniques that I've set up over the years, um, basically with their initial setup, like after I hatch them out, I keep them in these real simplistic setups, me and my sons and my daughters. As soon as the, these eggs hatch, you know, we're hands on with them from the get go. Uh, we put them in these very simple setups and start tongue feeding them right away. And, you know, if, if people follow my guidelines with like the um, really any of the species that I breed or any species really that are captive born, if you follow these few little techniques for, you know, maybe two, three months, Man, they they come to actually really enjoy uh, your presence and your time. Of course, you know they need time away and alone, 
But, um, you know, you, you can get them pretty uh, tolerant of your presence. I don't want to say tame. Yeah. Sensitized. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's a trust thing. It, it's actually, it's like building a relationship, um, you know, like with a, like even a dog, you know, if, if you, you know, you treat them right and everything, they love you. And if you scold them and hit them with the newspaper, you know, after a while, they start growling at you and stuff. Same thing with these. As long as you are on the same level with them and you don't abuse them or scare them. And when I mean abuse them, I don't mean abuse them because if you're abusing animals, you shouldn't be doing it anyways. But just scaring them. Uh, Grabbing you know, them. Not, you know, yeah, not moving around the right way or, you know, loud noise stuff. You got to be real careful of this in the beginning. But once you do get them to tolerate your presence, man, you can put them in any kind of setup and they will come to you when you open a cage door. Yes, that that's what my I want. My Kimberly rocks right here. And, and this is kind of like a, I don't know, if I'm, like a misnomer. I, people call me all the time and they're like, you know, I really like Kimberly rocks, but, you know, I hear they're sensitive. One thing I found out with monitor lizards, you, you got to get out of your head. You got to get out of your own way. It's like if if you if you go into anything, I mean, if you were in high school and you were fencing and you were like, oh, wow, I could get poked in the eye. You're probably going to get poked in the eye. You know what I mean? So get out of your way with it. They're not delicate. They're not sensitive. Um, you treat them right. You feed them right. And you do a few things that are uh, – you know, within their tolerance range and their great animals. These Kimberly rocks that I have right here, I raised these from tiny little hatchlings. Um, and I just started tongue feeding them <coughs> pinky parts. And they, they literally, there's, there's, they're not sensitive. They're hardy animals. They'll come running right out of my arm. They'll go right back in their cage when they want to. And yeah, so it's pretty cool. You got to get out of your way with that thinking, they're sensitive or those are hard ones. They're, they're all not. If you support them proper, they're pros. They're going to do what they do. You just got to support them proper. That's all. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's probably the way it is with anything that people say is hard. It's not so much that it's hard. It's that you make it hard by overthinking it, you know? Yep. Absolutely. There can be animals that have more exacting requirements and you have to meet those requirements that doesn't make them hard. That just means that you have to work a little harder to give them what they need. Well, the hobby but is giving them what they need yeah. should be easy overall. Yeah, if you can't, the, right. well, the problem is a lot of people in the hobby. If, if you can't put it in a basic cage or a tub, it's a hard animal to take care of. When in reality, you know, a savannah monitor is not a hard animal to take care of, but it takes a large enclosure with a lot of dirt. They like to dig, and people don't want to give that much room to one lizard. Yeah. yeah. That's that's another problem. Uh, um, you know, they do require, like you said, deep dirt and, you know, humid soil, humid hides and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, for depending on the species. And again, you're talking about savannah monitors, not a lot of them being bred. So they are coming out of the wild. So they do know vast. They do know vastness. So to throw them in an eight foot by four foot by six foot enclosure, you know, that that's basically you're going to you're that's a prison cell for them from wild caught animals. But uh, you know, if you if an eight by four by six cage with you know many basking shelves, many uh climbing and hiding opportunities, 
uh, many visual barriers to block their views from each other. You can all make it work. But again, you, you bottom line is you can't be lazy with monitors. If, 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 if you're not willing to put in that work, maybe only have a, a small group or, uh, you know, one and, and then do all the other stuff that you really enjoy, like taking the weekends off. Excuse me. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, for the most part, they're everyday work. Um, and it, it's just, that's the, if you want to breed them and stuff, they're pretty much every day. You can't enjoy them, but even if you're not breeding them, it's, it's good to feed them like they should be fed. Um, I feed my animals every single day. Now, um, I want to clear that up. When I say that, I'm not feeding them like, you know, people in the reptile world think, oh, yeah, my snake's got this big bump in him. He's fed. Monitors, you don't have to do that. Give them two, three, four small items, uh, but you got to do that daily. <clears throat> and, and they grow off of that, too. Um, because their metabolism is so high, you you want to watch the caloric, the caloric intake, like rodents are really high in fat and, you know, a lot of um, – a lot of fat because of their brain tissue and whatnot. Um, but uh, like quails, insects, quail eggs, uh, that on a daily basis is, I mean, some of these monitors I stuff with birds. And uh, because they're they're less substantial caloric-wise, they go right through them. And, you know, you, you got to keep everything running at optimal temperatures. So if, if you're providing the the right conditions for them, you're going to feed them every day. If, if your temperatures are a little low, you could probably get away with not feeding them every day, but you're not going to have a happy animal, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so I've always wanted, like I said, I, I've wanted to monitor. And then for a while, I've gotten to the point where I think now I'm ready to like try it. And I thought I wanted Ackies because I wanted something small. And I was, I was sold. I'm going to get Ackies. And then I went to NARBC Arlington and Brett Bender was there. And on his table, he had, Little baby Kimberly rocks, and I'd heard about them because I'd heard about them on like Morelia pythons. I know Eric got some from you, and yeah. uh, I've heard about them on Kai Fans podcast. I was like, I had no idea what they were like, and then I went over there and saw them, and I fell in love with them. Like they're they're a miniature, like what you think of when you think of an Australian monitor, but they're small. I was like, that's what I want, like to hold and feed, and like oh, it looked awesome. They're a great species for sure. So, Mike, what is the average size of them? Uh, full-grown ones uh you know it's it's crazy because the way i take care of mine and i feed mine mine i would say in the general when you think about or when you see brats and and other people's they're kind of big uh, well i shouldn't say big <clears throat> they're you can get up to 24 inches okay mine are much less than that mine are probably 18 inches maybe 20 inches <clears throat> and they, I, I get tons of eggs out of them. So I, and I don't know why mine don't get mad. You know, I shouldn't say massive, but mine don't get to their what seems their maximum potential in length. Um, and I've had these, you know, a couple three years now, and they're still very manageable size. This small enclosure right here, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right here. That's very small. That's like um, uh, four feet by five feet by only 18 inches wide. And uh, but as you can see, with all the rock work in there and all the ledges, it gives them a a lot of surface area. So you you can maximize the size of your enclosure by what you add to it, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and there are a lot, a lot of that length is tail, right? I mean, they have a very long tail for. They they have probably one of the longest tails in the monitor world. It, it's and it's beautiful too. It's like a raccoon tail, you know, or a lemur all ringed all the way down. Beautiful animal. Let me see if I can pull one out real quick for you. Well, I was looking on your website because you've got some good pictures of that cage with them in there, and you can see that it, you know, they're small. You got them wedged in there between the rocks. They're fitting in there just fine. Yeah. I was actually thinking that looked like a pretty big cage. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it's not, um, you know, like this here, I don't know, total maybe, maybe 20, 22 inches. Um, it's not a real big animal, and uh, they're just gorgeous, you know. But it's like only a foot of body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the bodies are real small. They got a they got a long neck <laughs> and a very long tail and a flat head for uh, wedging into gaps, you know, and, and pulling geckos out and little critters and stuff. Just a great species, really. I, I can understand why you fell in love with them. Yeah, it's just you grew up watching like. Crocodile hunter, and you watch him go out catch monitors out in the wild, or grow up any any of them. When you picture like a goanna or something like that, it's got that body shape. Whereas like the the ackies don't. They just they don't. They're cool, but they don't look the way you think of a monitor. Right. They're they're a little more bulldoggy, kind of uh, minus their head structure. They're they're more of a body style, kind of like a savannah monitor. You know. Yeah. So. For for Kimberly Rocks, let's let's talk about we're talking about the housing there. So we've got an idea of the size of your caging. Let's go back to heating because I know with monitors that's always a, a tricky thing. Uh, uh, in, in the reptile world, I, a lot of stuff we keep way too hot, but monitors are one of those things where you always hear you need to keep them really hot. Uh, so what, what? How do you? What kind of temperatures are you going for? And I'm assuming you're doing just a basking spot and then cooling off the rest of the cage. No, not really. What 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 I do is. Um, number one, you got to understand, um, and this varies from region to region around the, the country. And as far as around the world goes, I have no idea cause I'm in the United States, but like someone in Texas, they're not going to do what I do in the basement in Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Uh, I try explaining this to people I'm in the basement. So the base temperatures is like if you came down here with no socks on and there's and there, none of this was here, that would be your base temperature. Like what the, the floor gets, the walls get, that's, you, you feel that. And you, if, if you feel that as a human, you can only imagine what an Australian monitor feels. They feel that long before we do. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're not cold blooded animals. So um, they have no internal heater. So if you were to keep, if I were to keep everything down here with no supplemental heating for the room itself and my cages were all up to temperature, those base temperatures still permeate them and the cage. So basically what I do is to start off here in Wisconsin, cold, you know, six months out of the year, it's mainly very cold. So um, I heat my room to like 82 degrees. I'm down here sweating my balls off. That's that's just the way it is. But that's what they require. So a base temperature, and when I say base temperature, I'm not talking about your cage at all. Your base temperature would be the room that they're kept in. So 82 degrees. Now, what 82 degrees is giving you is in your cage, you're going to have 
you know, temperatures of 82 on the cool side. So everything goes in my room here, everything goes from um, 80 degrees to 95 degrees ambient in the cages. And then you have basking spots. And as you can see here, there's multiple, multiple basking spots. They can thermoregulate anywhere they want here. You know, over here is, you know, probably 85 degrees. And then you got 135, 140, anywhere on these top three shelves. And in between, it might be a little cooler and then a little cooler. And then this shelf here might be a hunter, but underneath it, it'll still be like 98. So it's just offering them choices. You got to give them, um, you know, you got to give them options. And like I said, I, you know, I, I, people think like, I don't know, like I'm like trying to hide something. I, I would never hide anything, man. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making medical equipment. I'm not, I'm not a, a brain surgeon. I, I'm a lizard guy. I, I got nothing to hide. I'll share with everybody. I want to see everybody succeed with these animals because I love them so much. And the the pleasure I get from them, you know, if, if you have that in you, like if even if you're slightly interested in Kimberly rock monitors, I want to feed that with you. And what you're going to do is you're going to take that passion and you're going to become more passionate and it happens a lot. Ask Eric Burke. <laughs> Start falling in love with these things. And I'm not saying you're going to get away from snakes, but you're going to appreciate these a lot more. And when you understand these temperatures and everything, um, you, you know, you just fall in love with these animals and that's stuff that you have to provide for them. And it's not a hard thing to do. It's just, you got to get out of your own way and start thinking like a, like a lizard who likes it really, really hot. Well, that's hot. hot 135 man that's crazy <laughs> well you know what i had somebody ask me and um they're like um you know those those temperatures are unbelievable that, that you know you wouldn't find that in nature oh yeah you will and i have a i have a black top driveway well if you if you put the temp gun on my driveway in august here you're well over 150 degrees so and then we're, now we're talking about in Australia with no trees and it's just beaming light. So those these these temperatures are absolutely needed and they're absolutely used. Um, and the problem is if you don't get those temps up like that, you you're you're cutting your animals off of um, digestion, reproductive, um, and. It's, it's just an option. People think like, oh, that's what the cage is. That's not what the cage is. That's one spot. And underneath it might be 125 and underneath it 110. So they pick where they want to go. And like <laughs> gravid females, they're sitting for extended time under these hot temperatures, under 135 or higher. My Mertens are 150 and they'll sit under there for a half hour or longer. Um, you know, and Again, you have to do your research because the indicus types, they do like these hot temps, but you got to make sure that that your whole cage is a thermal gradient because if that's the only place they can go warm up and they're not getting their full body warmed up, they'll sit under that light. Like, like a, it's good to use a bank of lights. You can see multiple lights. What happens with that is if, if you have... Uh, one of these medium-sized halogen bulbs and you got a four-foot lizard 
Well, he'll park himself up under there, and it's only on his back. Well, his head, which is, you know, his, his computer and his tail are cold. So his head is telling him, I'm not up to temperature yet. Now, in the meantime, his back is cooking. So you got to heat the whole animal. And then in his computer, in his brain, when he hits his uh, optimal operating temperatures, he goes off to another spot. But a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll use a single basking bulb for larger animals. And the animal doesn't realize his back is cooking, but his head is cold. He only knows his head is cold, you know. So to heat the entire body, not necessarily the tail, but head and body should be heated at the same time at the same temperatures. Does using multiple lights allow you to use lower wattage lights since you're using more than one? Or how, how, what, kind yeah. of, what are you looking for wattage-wise and something like that? Well, see, now that, that varies too depending on where you're at. If you're in California and it's, you know, 110 outside, you're not going to need halogen at all. You'd need, and I couldn't tell you because I've never been there and I, and I don't know. But here where I'm at, I use these halogen floods, always floods, not spots. <clears throat> and these are 75 watt and these are 50 watt. So uh, the combination of the two create these, you know, nice thermal clients for them to choose from. And, you know, since our listeners won't be able to see it, just as a quick description, when you're saying that you've got a 75 and a 50, the distance from the first ledge to the 75 is further than the ledge under the 50. But even though there's the difference there, you're probably well, getting a continuity of temperature based on the top of those, just with the distance that gets thrown. Right. I and, always do. I'm sorry. Go on. I was going to say, and I would very much recommend that people go onto Mike's um, website and check out his YouTube videos. So you can really see how these cages are set up. You know, he talks about how he's got different gradients. He has shelves that run for almost two and a half feet down the side of his cage and each of those shelves is offset from the other so that the animals can climb on top, sit on the shade or in the, in the light, or they can duck back in under the shade and just have parts of themselves out. So they really are designed to allow these animals the greatest amount of thermal gradient and choice for that thermal gradient so you know mike isn't saying you know i've just got a hot spot that's got 150 yeah he's got a hot spot that's got 150 but six inches under that it's 125 and six inches under that it's 100 and six inches under that it's 95 and there's little shaded spots in between them that are probably halfway along that gradient too so he gives them just a huge amount of choice which is you know as mike was saying is very important to these animals um i also want to flip back you said how you go out and you've got your pavement and that that gets out to 150 and i know there are people out there who will make the argument of well yeah but that's pavement and pavement's nothing like the natural environment years and years and years ago i went and did a lizard expedition at a arches national monument in utah and one of the things we did was you know temp gun the rocks and the environment those desert rocks easily easily get to 150 degrees so saying that because Mike is saying that his pavement gets to 150 is not the same as what happens in nature. 
I can tell you you're wrong because in nature, 150 out in these super hot environments where you've got access to just beating sun on top of rock and no shade, you can hit 150 out in the Utah desert, which is going to be very similar to the Kimberley region in Australia. And can I, I'd like to elaborate on that. Like yes, as far, you're, you're talking about two different um, situations of blacktop driveway in Wisconsin. And let's make this clear sandstone rocks in Utah, yes. right? Okay. Yes. So those sandstone rocks, if they were pavement would probably be much hotter than the temperatures you're saying, because that sandstone is very porous and airy and it's, um, it's, it's dissipating that heat a lot more than a black, hard blacktop. So yeah, there's, you can argue any way you want, but the sun is the sun and the heat it gives off is true. It's, it's just, it's true. And you need with monitors too, just like these temperatures we're talking about, a, a tool that is absolutely needed when you have monitors, of course, uh, thermometers are, you know, are needed, but you need a temp gun to, to, to check these basking spots and that way, when you're building your enclosures, you can pinpoint. So, like, if, if you build one enclosure and, you know, 16 inches away with a 75-watt bulb, I'm getting 150 degrees. Well, you could pretty much use that universally throughout your whole collection. But, um, you know, it, depending on if you're using different size wattage of bulbs, you'll know how high and close you can get with that light bulb. Um, and, again, a lot of times, too, logs and wooden shelves they're going to take the heat on a little different than like the zoopoxy um while it's not rock at all when it's cured it, it's hard as steel so it really generates some heat to where if i i, I, I mean perfectly honest with you i'll show you this okay now i just turn these lights back on because seven o'clock everything goes off so they've been on Oh, probably, I don't know, I can't see, 45 minutes or so. So I'm going to put my hand right here on one of the hot spots right here. I'm telling you right now, my hand is, it is cooking. It's cooking. So, and my animals will lay right there. And, and they'll lay there for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And what we think is hot is not for these monitors. It's, it's good for them. It's, it's normal for them, you know. And then now, do you have any um, any fans circulating air in there? No, you know what, people. I just had a, a guy ask me, hey, "Where should I put the vents?" I'm like, you know, unless you're living in, you know, hot ass Texas or California, you you don't need the vents because the vents are gonna they're gonna suck your humidity out, which is already you know a balancing act when you have this kind of heat and lights going, and um, it actually works against you. In my situation, I can't speak for everybody, you know, region to region, but here I've never used vents. I mean, the little gaps in the glass and, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a cement finisher by trade. I'm my, you know, carpentry is not my thing. So while they look good from across the podcast here, if a carpenter looked at this stuff, they'd call me a wood butcher because there's <laughs> gaps, and cracks and, you know, they, they get their own venting. So a lot of what a lot of people do is is by thinking their animal needs extra venting, they're actually creating more problems 
for them as far as uh, uh, getting the the needs met for your animals. It's just adding another problem in, in this situation. You know, again, if, if I lived in Texas or, uh, you know, Arizona or California, I'm sure, you know, venting, but probably not because then in those situations, you wouldn't be using these types of light bulbs. And, you know, it's just, it's region to region. I can only speak for what I do here in the Midwest. What are you doing as far as UV? I, I've never used, I've never used UV. What I, I'm old school, man. I, I'm, I'm an old dog and I, you know, you don't change your ways much. <laughs> There's a lot of UV and stuff coming to the forefront now. And, you know, they're marketing Arcadia. Well, you know, I'm going back to ZooMed. I mean, Arcadia, I don't even think it was around then. Um, their, their, their own marketing, in my opinion, worked against them. You know, if you've got a light bulb company that's saying, hey, put this light bulb, you know, put this $80 light bulb over your thing at 16 inches and in three months you're losing whatever 20 percent of uv and then you got to move it closer and uh you know and then in six months throw this 80 dollar light bulb away that's still showing light i'm like man what a you know that's great that's like um you know you know it, it's like the the edison guy who made the light bulb that supposedly will never burn out, but he don't use that filament because you'd buy one light bulb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So their marketing worked against, in my opinion, back then. And again, you're, you're not going to, nobody's ever going to imitate what the sun does. There's no way possible. We're not there yet. I mean, um, so I never use UV high heat in combination with a good mineral supplement with vitamin D three, that high that high um, high heat and that vitamin D3, it uh, synthesizes calcium into uh, a usable thing for that, for the monitors. It always has for me. I, I may be totally talking out of my butt. I don't know, but, you know, I just, my, the results are in the incubator. That, that's, and I don't want to sound cocky or nothing, but until that incubator starts emptying out, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I never use UV. Are you dusting your food with every feeding or just certain types of prey items? No, I, I dust everything every time with sticky tongue farm mineral with the indoor. So that's with the D3. Okay. Hmm. That makes good sense. Yeah. I, you, I, mean, I don't know if it makes sense. It's, it's what I do and my results kind of speak for themselves. Again, I don't want to toot my own horn, but that's my argument for it. You mentioned yeah, think, um, humidity. What kind of humidity are you shooting for with these guys? Well, you know, like humidity down here itself with all, you know, the larger cages. I got the 300-gallon pond with the, the Mertens, a lot of big water basins with my water monitors. <laughs> my Australian cages are probably 50% on a, on a good humid day, and – like my coming eye monitors and my sulfur monitors, those are probably 60 to 80% at any given time on a good day. Um, I don't find it too important because with the Varanids, they, they need um, just like they need that thermocline. They need um, like 
a micro a microclimate where you offer them. It's like my my nest box that I just pulled that little girl out of. That's probably the inside that box is probably you know sixty to eighty percent all the time. So it, when they need their, <clears throat> and just think about this <clears throat> in the outback of Australia. I don't care if you're on top of the rock, under the rock, out of the sun. Man, it's hot and dry. But if you wanted to get some humidity and maybe a little bit of relief, well, you dig under a rock. Well, there, here comes your um, your microhabitat. So they dig under these rocks, and that's where they get their moisture, and they it prevents you know them losing water through their breathing and everything because it's so humid in these little microclimates, in these little microhabitats. So the whole cage is never a real big concern about their humidity, but you got to keep their nesting boxes or their soil, uh, a thermal gradient as far as moisture is concerned in their dirt. Because when they dig down, they're going to get all the moisture they need. So you're giving them choices just like the heat then. Absolutely. That's that's the key with monitors. You've got to give them, and it's, you know, it'd be nice if we can narrow it down to where this is the perfect thing, but it's not. They use every bit of that. They're so smart and opportunistic because of the climates that they come from. Now, mangrove types and your water monitors, uh, you know, animals that come from, a, you know, like a covered forest, uh, you know, they're going to bask a little differently. They're going to, uh, they're going to take on water differently. Uh, and, so once you understand that with these monitors, you can, when you have peach throats or um, Kimberly rocks, you'll know, nah, I, I, that mangrove needs a lot more humidity in the air than the Kimberly rocks do. So with that being said, like my coming eye monitors are from the Philippines and my Java sulfurs are from Java. Those, they get their moisture needs met from the deep, substrate that I keep for nesting females and just for in general. And then I put a heat source on the side of the, the, the dirt tub. And what that does is as it heats the dirt, it creates moisture within the cage. Um, and then, so they can go on top of the soil. It's, it's a little higher humidity than the air. Then they go in the dirt and then they, they're, you know, they're at any humidity level that they want. So again, it's about choices and understanding the um, the differences in the species and where their habitats are and where they come from. Yeah. So for, and I've looked at some of your cage pictures and I've seen the videos before, you're not doing much water for these guys, right? You're not doing a big water bowl or anything like that and for the Kimberly rocks, right? No, not, not for the Kimberly rocks. As a matter of fact, I have, I'll show you the water dish real quick here. That's a water dish for a Kimberly. This is for 2.2 uh, Kimberly rocks. That's probably two or three ounces of water. And I just keep that full in there all the time. Uh, and they'll go in there and drink. And then when I notice their, uh, when I notice their sheds are a little flaky, I'll miss the whole cage down like maybe um, once or twice every couple of weeks. So, I kind of watch their skin tone and when their, when their sheds are um, a little drier and 
and they're having trouble getting them off, I'll miss the cage up because actually uh, too much humidity with these Australian types, uh, especially these um, like Kimberly rocks and the Pilbaras, you know, they come from a little scrub climate where there's a little more humidity. So when they dry out a little bit, you'll see it in their sheds and then you just spray the cage down a little bit and it goes a long way. So I want to talk about kind of the setup of your cages. You, uh, you talk about having the zoopoxy on there. You don't actually have a soil layer in there, right? You use for a, for a nest box you do, but the cage overall, you don't use a soil layer for your setup, right? No, for the, um, for the Kimberly rocks, um, Gil and I, King Gorham, they have a uh, substrate. The, the, my Kimberly rocks don't. My Kimberly rocks are pretty much a, a complete dry setup with the nest box, which acts as a nest box and then a place for them to, a humid escape, you know, just like if they were on a rocky outcropping in Australia, if, when, you know, most of the times they're hanging on the rock. But when it gets too hot and, and they need some cooling off and whatnot, they'll go to the lower ends of the rocks and in their little crevices down where there's, uh, you know, sandy soil that's moist and holds moisture because it's not exposed to the sun and air. Um, but yeah, for the most part, these guys have, um, it's probably 10, 10 by six by a foot deep sandy soil with a piece of slate over the top of it. And, and that, it really, with the, um, the zoopoxy over the, the pink insulation foam, what happens is that soil is heated on the side. And as the moisture evaporates from the heat, the heater, it just condensates on the lid of that thing and falls in there. I rarely have to refresh that with water. It's, it's a, it's almost like a rain chamber that recycles itself. It's pretty cool. And you know, yeah. all this, it was all trial and error. I, I, you know, there was nobody telling me to do it this way, but I've always been kind of creative with making things. And, um, you know, just over the years, since I was a kid, I found out things that are, you know, that create humidity and, and things that lose too much humidity. So you just kind of go from there, but yeah, for the most part, they have a nest box and no dirt throughout their enclosure. So the floor, the enclosure itself is also the zoopoxy, like the coating on the rocks. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so is that a, I'm assuming you built all that yourself. So is that, is that a spray foam and then covered with the zoopoxy? Is that how you do that? Well, you could, you could do um, spray foam. This was all sheet foam. So open cell, closed cell, you know, when my wife gets an Amazon package and there's a, uh, like the styrofoam thing that holds the fan together or whatever she bought, I take it and I save it. And when I'm building new cages, I break it up or buy pink insulation foam and make the, the levels. Um, it, you know what I tell people with Zupoxy, this stuff here, if you could see it in your mind's eye and you're even a little bit creative, you can do whatever you want with this stuff. You can make whatever you want. It's good stuff. Now, is it- we used an old styrofoam cooler and broke it up to make rock similar. We used, uh, not Zupoxy, but it's one made for concrete that we had to tent. But same type of idea. We just, you know, it was going in the trash anyway, so we thought it was worth a shot. Absolutely. Why throw it away? Recycle it. So the Zupoxy, is it more of a like a, a putty when it comes out? Not so much a liquid like a like you would think of like a clear epoxy, but is this something yeah, you can mold? Part epoxy putty. Like 
like if you have your faucets dripping, you go to Ace Hardware and you get that tube and there's like a putty within a putty and then you got to mix it with your fingers. Yeah, That's what this is, but it's designed for um, zoo exhibits so it's non-toxic to flora and fauna. If fish, it doesn't harm fish, saltwater fish, anything. But it's real simple to work with too because uh, unlike the liquid epoxies that you got to be very precise so you don't get uh, fast curing or no curing at all. Uh, Zupox, you basically take A and B close to the same size, mix it together, it becomes like a clay, and then you just press it into your, your sculpture, whatever it is you do, and then you texture it with it. I use a sea sponge because it makes you know a real cool rock look of like sandstone in Australia. But there, there's silicone stamps that you can make. I have logs out of it and it's good stuff. And I will be posting up in my on my YouTube channel a kind of a tutorial on how to use Zoopoxy and different things you can do with it. But if you do go to my website, you can see most everything you see in my cages is Zoopoxy, except the plants. Do you paint it or does it come uh, tinted that color already? No, you, you paint it with um, acrylics like that you get at uh, Hobby Lobby or Michael's. Okay. And um, it's real nice. There's um, you put like a base color, whatever you're going for. And then uh, I learned this from a friend of mine named Steve Sandin, who's a, another great zoopoxy builder and monitor breeder. But he's also into these little like miniature, like wizards and Warcraft or whatever that stuff is. And when I first started this, you know, I was having trouble getting the look I was going after. He said, YouTube search dry brushing. Oh my God. When I found out this dry brushing, man, I can make this stuff look like it's real, super real. So you, you, you basically use acrylic paints, you put your base color on there and then to bring out highlights and low lights and, you know, certain looks that whatever you see in your mind's eye, you, you take your brush and you, you get it, the uh, the acrylic paint on there, you dab it off on a paper towel. So there's like hardly any paint on the brush. But if you keep going over and over and over, slowly but surely, you'll start seeing the color above your base color. And it just gives it so much depth and it's beautiful. And anybody can really do it. You just got to try it. You got to go for it, you know. Yeah, that's what uh, use that technique as well. Mm -hmm. It gets you to uh, it blends them together a lot better. Kind of gives you a fade between the two colors. Yeah, so natural looking. So I'm trying to I'm slightly trying to shop here and see what 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 uh what does it kind of cost for you looking at for something like that versus someone going out and buying say you know if they go buy uh was it uh why did i bring a blank who's the one in texas that does the rock? Like universal rock. universal rock instead of buying a background already done versus making one what what kind of cost are you looking at for something like that like behind you well this one here is probably two and a half gallons of zoopoxy so that that Two and a half gallons of Zupoxy is approximately uh, maybe 200 bucks tops. Then your paints, maybe another 15, 20. But the difference between this and Universal Rocks, Universal Rocks, you, they give you the sheet or you buy the sheet or with the shelves. And your cage pretty much looks like Joe Schmo's cage and, you know, Joe Blow's cage. It's kind of all the same. This, you custom make it, ain't nobody's cage going to look like your cage. You know, it's so 
custom. You can add a shelf where you want. If you don't want it, where you, you let's just put it this way. You get a little more freedom with this. You can do what you want. So that's why I like it. Yeah. I think, I think that's how we, I, I, I really like the look of what you've done there. And then I, I know we can see it. Nobody else can, but the cage behind you is one that I love. I've seen pop up in several videos, but it's that barrel that I think is oh, freaking I was awesome. going to ask about that too. What's in that? That's I check this out. Now I just got back from the uh, NERBC show in Tinley park here. This cage, this cage is, um, it's a whiskey barrel and it's a design I had in my mind since I was a kid. Um, just a little quick background on, on, cage building that I've done since I was young. Um, my mom, God rest her soul. I love her. She let me have any animal I wanted. And she, when I was a kid, she'd buy them for me. And I felt really guilty that my mom spent, you know, whatever, a hundred dollars on a spotted turtle. And now I'm going to go ask her for a cage or whatever, a boa. So going through my neighborhood, like on garbage day, someone would throw out a big console TV. I've wanted to do one I, of those forever. Yeah, and I, I look at that console TV, and I'm like, man, I can make a nice cage out of that. So I jump on my BMX bike, put the the console TV on my shoulder, bring it home, kick out the tube, and start putting logs, rocks, and uh, you know branches and plants, and just do it. So this idea has been in my head since I was a kid, and once I got started getting into the zoopoxy. And I was having, you know, a lot of success breeding my my animals. I wanted to go to these shows. But again, I really have, I've always loved naturalistic looking setups. So I didn't want to display my beautiful animals that I worked my butt off for in, in a deli cup like the other 900 people in the show. So I came up with this for my uh, selling my Mertens. So at the show... This is all water. So when my baby Mertens are in there, people come looking at my Mertens, they can see them swimming in the water. It's just, it, people, I get real good uh, feedback and response from these types of, you know, naturalistic, in, you know, enclosures. And it really motivates people to do a little bit better for their animals. And that's what I'm all about, you know. And, and I'm not saying, you know, some animals do okay in racks, but monitors ain't one of them. They, you need to really give them a nice tacked out enclosure and it's it's i i always say this man don't cheat yourself or your animal more importantly don't cheat yourself i mean the behaviors that you see in an enclosure like this for with mertens to see what they do underwater which they do everything underwater as much as they do on land so if you just have a tub where you can't see into the water man you're missing a lot of cool stuff hmm. but yeah this is I use this when I go to the shows to sell my baby Mertens. And then I have a, a river one that I, I it looks like a, like a, um, like a river in a tropical rainforest. And I put my coming eye babies in there. And then I have this one here that I'll put my Aki bait. Can you see that? Oh yeah. I've seen that yeah. before. Yeah. That's a quarter barrel. I'll put my baby Kim's in there or um, King Gorham's, uh, you know, Aki's. Uh, and then when I'm not at the show, I breed my gill and eye monitors in there in the barrels. Yeah, I've seen, like I said, I've seen videos with that as shows that they've shown off uh, between you and uh, was it Rare Earth? The his setup, the way he does his at shows, I love seeing stuff like that versus just a table 
with some animals on it. Uh, it's a completely right. different experience when you see it set up the way y'all have it. <laughs> well, like Mike said, it lets you see the animals and their behavior, which, especially with monitors, I think is why Mike is so successful because he's engaged with them and watching their behavior, and he uses that behavior to adjust temperatures, lighting, everything that he needs because he's in tune with his animals and what they're doing. And yeah, if you've just got them shoved away in a corner of the box, you're not getting that attention on them that they need so that you build this, you know, full understanding of your animals to be able to give them what they need to thrive for you. Absolutely. And and also with the, the and I'm not a, trying to offend anybody and I don't, it's just a statement. Um, the lowest com and this is more for monitors than really anybody else. I mean, you look at tree frog people, man, those guys, uh, not tree frog, frogs in general, amphibian people, man, those guys go way out for their animals. Oh, yeah. That shit, beautiful, decked out. I mean, I look at some of these tree frog and these poison dart frog enclosures. I was like, man, I would like to live in there with the damn frog. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So lowest common denominator like you were talking about behavior if you put them in a lowest common denominator um you're you're not gonna see the behavior because the animal your animals aren't gonna want to interact with their surroundings it's it's so foreign to them while these are all captive born animals they still have you know instinct and perception and while they know Zupoxy is not a real rock, they know the light bulb is not the sun. It's just more appealing to them than, uh, you know, wire shelf or just the lowest common denominator stuff. Plus, that, again, I don't sound like a broken drum here or whatever you'd say, but uh, man, you're cheating yourself and your animals if if you don't, you know, if if you don't want a naturalistic enclosure get you a tub put a paper towel in there in a water dish slide your ball python into the drawer and say goodbye until you feed them next week that ain't what monitors are about man monitors are about watching them and observing them and enjoying them and again you don't need no huge collection if you live in an apartment you can get a big exoteric cage some zoopoxy deck it out a light bulb over the top heat your soil and man, you could watch your Kimberly Rocks, King Gorums, Ackies, you know, interact and behave with their environment, which is so cool. That's to me, that's what it's all about. Watching an animal. If if I just I don't understand that walking into a reptile room and and I'm not trying to go against anybody, but I love seeing my animals. I love watching my animals. So if I walked into a room that was floor to ceiling just drawers man i would feel like i was at like the the boutique store you know shopping for underwear and socks or something i just think people need to give their animals more than that whether it's a a ball python or whatever it is man they deserve more in my opinion and so that's where i fall i fall in the middle i guess like i've got my snakes and they're in the stuff but if i do kimberly rocks i want a full-on zoo type setup where i can i really want it like in my living room i want it to be a you walk in and it's a showpiece in the living room that people can walk in and we can just sit there turn the tv off and watch the monitors run around when you feed them and stuff like that 
So. Yep, absolutely. And, and you can do that. I mean, that's that's yeah. the joy of the hobbies. You can pick between these different extremes. Not that extreme. I'm not using extreme in the bad. I mean, like, yeah, I have ball pythons. Oh, and yeah, they're all just shoved away in a drawer. But you know, I also have a pair of bread lie that are an eight foot long cage. That's it. And you know, it's got branches and bark logs and rock highs and everything, and they're all over that. Um, you know, I've got. I have two calabar boas in an eight foot cage, you know, and most people would probably look at me like I was crazy. Why do you need an eight foot cage for two snakes that are only 24 inches long that are underground 88% of the time? Well, that's well, why they won't breed. They can't find Because that's what they like. <laughs> I mean, I don't have to see them. I can still enjoy that cage all, you know, decked out and planted up and set up like a piece of the jungle floor. But now on that, knowing the needs of a ball python can be met in a sliding drawer. And that's great. But with your uh, Moralia in these bigger cages with branches and stuff, you do see them using these different zones within that enclosure, correct? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I, they'll, I'll see them basking one day under, you know, where I've got the hot spot. And then another day they'll just be perched over, you know, dangling off one of the branches on the cooler side. You know, some days they'll be tucked under the rock ledges. Some days they'll be on top of the rock ledges. You know what? Through this podcast just now, I actually had an epiphany because of this conversation. Um, remember when I said to you guys, it'd be nice if we can find one thing for monitors that works and then you wouldn't have to offer all these choices. So we figured that out with ball pythons. They're perfectly fine and they live being tucked away. Well, these guys don't, it doesn't happen with these and probably with most animals. I also, I'm a big, uh, I like dry marcon. I love dry marcon. I love thamnophis, any kind of garter snakes. I love those. And those. They move. Those to me are more monitor like than constrictors and stuff because they will use these different thermoclines and, and micro habitats and Again, you can breed garter snakes in a drawer, but man, you're cheating yourself. Put that garter snake in a nice setup with even bioactive with a, a hut, a plant, a branch. They're all over the place and they love it. And a little a little pool to feed it in when you watch it go crazy. Feed more often. They uh well, and it's and it's really a an animal to animal thing. You know, we talked about working great for ball pythons, but we know monitors need way more. And then there's things like, uh, I've always thought coach whips or uh, buttermilk racers are awesome snakes, but I've always heard that they do horrible in captivity because they move so much. They don't want to be in a cage. So it's one of those things where like, they're cool, but I'm not going to own one because I know that that's an issue. You know, right. There are certain needs that have to be met for every animal and you can meet the needs for these monitors. You just got to be willing to do it. And I think you see that, until you say with these racers, I love racers, buttermilks, coach whips, uh, speckled racers. I love all that stuff. Your commitment level is what's going to make or break that species for you to keep. Um, if you love them that much, you'll give them an eight foot cage. Like you said, I only see the snake once a week. Okay. You only see them once a week, but when you're not there, it's up, it's around, it's basking here. It's going there. If you give it to them, they're going to use it. Some people, it's just, it's almost like um, 
Like, why should I give it to them when they're okay like this? But like you just said, racers and, and you know, dry Marcon. I know people do the dry Marcons in, in boxes, but man, that's a disservice to that animal. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they talk about uh, Eastern Indigos. Just on, on a daily basis, the amount of land they cover just traveling, it's way more than a tub. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that because now I want to say something. It bothers me to see animals that deserve better just because they can be in that box. Man, that animal, he is, I don't care if they give you eggs or not, that animal is not happy in that box. Uh, you know, these, these um, high metabolism colubrids, they don't want the box. Yeah. Yeah, I talk about, because I keep a lot of sand boas, and so I keep them in tubs, and people complain, I'm like, Sambo lives in a hole underground. It's it's different for those guys than it is for again dry mark on racer even corn snakes. Corn snakes are a very mobile animal that likes to move around. So I keep my adults in pretty big uh, seventy tubs. I mean, there's tons of room in there. They're not in a little sweater box. Right. Absolutely. The animals deserve better. And that's what I think with the the great thing about like some of these these small monitor species, whether it be the Kimberleys or the Yakis, that you can do. When you go to a zoo and you see croc monitors or Komodo dragons or big water monitors and these giant setups at zoos, and you think that would be really awesome to have in your house. You can, but you can do it with a Kimberly or a, an Aki. You know, you can do it smaller and do the exact same thing they're doing at a zoo with these giant 10-foot monitors. Yep, yep. And even, even, even like, you know, your larger monitors, like uh, coming out as a smaller species of water monitor you know they don't get giant like the sulfurs and bivitatis and whatnot but um you know if with captive animals of course i always want to stress that captive animals if you pull something out of the wild man he's not going to be happy with most anything in captivity because they know nothing of walls everything is vast openness them there's no boundaries they can do what they want but captive-born coming eyes that get up to five feet long, my adult cages are eight feet by four feet wide by six feet high with two feet of digging substrate. Perfectly good for them. If you give them the options, the branches, the hollows, the, the shelves for basking, visual barriers of plants, and just by adding those things that I just said, now you have a zoo setup that looks beautiful. And you don't even realize you're doing it. You're, you're meeting those needs. And then you look at your cage and you're like, wow, that's beautiful. Then when you're, when people come over, they're like, oh, I had no idea. This is like a zoo. Yeah. It's, it's not a big deal. Just do it. Just do it, man. So do you have any, um, so I, I mean, I, all your enclosures seem more like display type enclosures, but do you have them in the rest of your house at all set up as like a, as a display? No, my, my basement is it, you know, my kids have some things up in their rooms, but no, for, for my monitors, all my monitors are down here in the basement set up real decked out. Nice. I'm talking about the size and setting things up. You know, I wish things like, uh, and, and I see Aki's getting more popular. But I wish things like Kimberly's would get more popular and the King Gorms would get more popular just because I see so many of you buying water monitors at shows, you know, and I'm just, that's a that's a big ass lizard that most people aren't prepared to give the space that a water monitor needs. Same way I see, you know, retics getting sold at shows, and there's so many smaller snakes that you could do instead of a retic. 
And so I remember when Niles used to be in every single mall God, pet store. Not, I I, I've never seen people Niles. buy them. It's like, oh, it's so cute and little. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's the same thing with you know turtles. You know, everybody buys sulcatas. You yeah. know, buy a red foot. You're gonna get you're gonna get a you know the same experience of a really personable animal in a much smaller, more easy to manage package that isn't going to you know destroy your entire well, bathroom it'll be a better you decide that it's going to live in your bathroom for the week. and it'll be a better experience for you and the animal so getting these smaller monitors and doing it this way is so much better than trying to get this big monitor and shoving it into an eight-foot cage that's only two foot tall and going well i feed it and it's alive so it's it's good yeah. well you know what it, it too um these smaller monitors if if you know someone who's just starting out or whatever um this will really prove your commitment level so if you take a, a cage here, like this is probably three foot by 18 inches deep by three feet high. Okay. I keep uh 1.2 Pilbarensis in here. It's plenty of room for them. Now you take those three animals, put it in your apartment, condo, house, whatever you want. Show your commitment level to this. Put your time into this. Spend the money on this. When you do this and you like them and you love them, Make the next step. Go for your water monitor or, you know, Savannah monitor, whatever the case may be, that are going to need a little bit more requirement. But check your commitment level with something that's very easy to commit to and to do and to provide for. Um, and if you're good and you like it, now move up. Well, the other benefit to that is if you do it and you don't like it, it's much easier to rehome that two foot monitor than it is that six foot monitor. Yep. You know? Yep. That's so true. So that's, that's one reason I, I, it's, it's really drawn me to these. I'm like, okay, I can do, I can do these guys. And then seeing them, that's another thing. Go to, go to reptile shows. I didn't know what Kimberly rocks were like until I saw them at a show. There's so many reptiles out there that people don't know exist because they only know the, the extreme mainstream ones that they see all over, you know, YouTube or whatever. But there's so many other ones out there that actually would fit their needs so much better if they would just do a little research, which I know is impossible to ask yeah, of people. Prime example of that. I was a snake guy. Um, kept everything in naturalistic setups, you know, North American desert rat snakes, garter snakes, dry marcon, all that stuff. Um, and I, again, I was not really interested in monitors at all because of the, the three readily available savannah asian water monitor and a nile okay none of those really tickled my fancy but when i found that peach throat and you know i started doing more research green trees black trees i, I was into all the tree monitors crack monitors got into them all and i never even really knew anything about them i, I mean i may know known crack monitors and you know certain water monitors existed but you know from doing my research on a peach throat monitor. It just led into all this other beautiful stuff. Exposed you to all the rest of it. Yeah. Are you still keeping tree monitors? I am not. I am not. And man, I just got back from that NARBC show. My, uh, my good buddy, Brian Waterloo, he picked up a trio of green trees. Oh man. It, I just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed the way it is right now. I'm at my workload, you know, and I don't want to just get them to get them. I got to be able to take care of them proper and do them right. And again, your commitment level, I'm pretty much at my commitment level right now. 
the sulfurs that I got, I've never really been into love coming eye. Always love coming eye. To me, they're the most beautiful adult monitors that there are because most monitors kind of get a little muddied up as they age. Coming eye monitors start off very subdued in their colors, still pretty, but man, as they mature, they just become better and better and more beautiful. You know, highlighter yellow and jet black. You you just can't beat that combo on a big lizard, a five foot lizard. You know, so um, I was wasn't never really into the water monitors like you know your Asian your common Asian water monitors that were still being imported. Um, and I've seen a lot of sulfur monitors in my life, but uh, this my friend who over a two year period imported you know cherry picked these from photos from overseas, um, he picked out over, like I said, a couple of years, he just, he was, there was a certain look he was going for. And man, when he offered them up and I seen them, I, I swear they are gorgeous. They're just absolutely cool animals. You can go to my web. Oh no, you can't. You can go like to my, um, Instagram and Facebook page and see some of the, the, um, the sulfurs that I'm working with. I don't have them on my webpage yet, but they will be. Cool. Uh, I was talking to someone at a show a couple weekends ago. Uh, again, going back to some of these people that just know the main things they're throwing them. Again, monitors can be ruined for you if all you know is, you know, water monitor, Nile monitor, Savannah monitor, and that's just not your thing. Um, I think that green iguanas are one of the worst things that ever happened to all other iguanas. Uh, I know yeah. folks that breed like banana pectinata and some of the rock iguanas, which make excellent pets. But the moment someone hears iguana, they're like, oh, no, I don't want that. I'm like, yeah, but that's not that. They're two, they're two totally different things. And so right. when people hear monitors, they think massive. Or like when people hear boas they, or pythons, they automatically think the big stuff. And there's so many things that are not the big stuff. Right. So I, I said it's, it's important for people to get out there and just and learn the other stuff and find the thing that that will fit you and so that the hobby becomes a better thing for you. Cause a lot of people I think leave the hobby because they get the wrong animal the first time. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And they, and you know what? Some of the people that get turned around like that, man, they, you never know. They could be the next discover something or create something. Uh, you never know. So it is a little discouraging, but over the past <clears throat> few years, you know, it's crazy. And that's why I'm always trying to be careful when I'm talking about drawers and stuff, because the reptile world is very clicky. It could be a real rough place if you say or do the wrong things. Yeah. Um, but man, if we would all just come together and share and, and, and get on the same wavelength of that, you know, in a drawer, putting around your neck, and going to the store or to the park—that that's not really what reptile, to me, what reptile keeping is about. That's cool. If you want to do that, that's cool. But well-being of your animal is number one, and number two for me, I want to be satisfied when I look in one of my cages. When I look into one of my cages and I see whatever, Kimberly Rock, Pilbara, Gil and I, whatever it is, acting naturally, acting normally, man, that, that's, it, like you said a little earlier, that's better than watching TV. Yeah. 
Yep. You know? Yeah. Huh. I was looking it's, at your pictures on your Facebook pages. are nice. Yeah. Which ones is that you're talking about? The sulfur monitors. Oh, yeah. They're hot, man. That My female BB, I call her that because she looks like a bumblebee. Man, that thing is smoking hot. That's a beautiful animal. They're all pretty much like her, but she's just so clean. There's no dirt. There's no dirtiness in between her banding. So she's kind of uh, a subdued yellow and jet black. Subdued yellow and jet black, like a bumblebee. She's gorgeous. Well, now I got to go look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. You're going to want something else. <laughs> no. I- hey, I- where are you guys all at? Where, you, where does each one of you live? I'm in I'm in uh, northern northern Colorado. And I'm in oh, Houston, wow. Houston, Texas. I'm out in Virginia. Okay. Well, if, I don't know if you guys ever come to a Tinley or whatever. I'm an hour away. If you guys want to come and check out the, the collection, you're always welcome, man. I, I love having people over. And hopefully, and I'm not necessarily talking about you guys, but we are following everything. Um, you know, get people on the right track and it doesn't take much. Usually when they come and see these animals, the rack goes down the river and, and even for, you know, uh, ball pythons or, or whatever we were talking about, they do, they realize, wow, I could do that for my ball python. Of course there's people out there that do this commercially and you know, that's good for everybody. I couldn't care less if I made a damn penny. My wife does. My <laughs> wife wants to make money with it. So as long as I could, um, I'm able to produce, you know, eggs and hatch them. Um, again, I could care less if if I made, ever made a dime on them. My wife wants to me to cover the cost of all this stuff. It's pretty expensive running this monitor room. But, um, uh, you know, and when I when I'm at like I was just at the show and um, this young dude comes up to me and starts talking about monitors. And um, I just met him. He's one of the Python bros. Um, young kid, really nice dude. Just soaked up all the information I was spitting at him. You know, I was waiting for this guy to say, oh, OK, Mr. Stefani, I got to go. He man, I couldn't tell him enough. He just kept listening and listening and listening. So at the NARBC, the um, U.S. ARC auction, I had put a Mertens in the auction. And, of course, I'm watching the room. I'm watching the room, and I'm seeing who's bidding, and I kind of have a feeling who's, you know, interested in everything. And I see this young dude, real smart kid. I liked him. Reminded me a lot of myself when I was young. You know, he's 1,500. He's putting his hand up. He's like, 1750s putting his hand up, you know, and then when it got up to like 1800, I look over at him and I'm thinking, okay, is he going to throw up another bid here? He didn't. He didn't throw up another bid. So, uh, you know, those that auction, man, that made a lot of money. So that that animal went almost retail. And, you know, I had this defeated look on his face. So uh, I looked over at him, I winked at him, and I said, hey, come and see me tomorrow. So, we worked out a deal for him to get a Mertens, and uh, he went home a happy man. Did, did Ryan McVeigh uh, bid on that one? Uh, you know what? Ryan was kind of out of my view. I'm sure he did up to some point. But Stephen Cush, uh, I know he needed another animal. I know Ryan needed another animal. See, I only look stupid. So 
I figured for sure I'm throwing a Mertens in the auction, knowing that those two guys are going to at least go up to retail. You know what I mean? So when it got up to 24 and then Steven won it, Steven Cush, um, I was happy because, you know, he got it a little cheaper in retail and it, the money went to the U.S. arc. And, you know, I love Steven. He's a good dude. And, and I'm just glad he wound up with it. And, um, again, uh, there's more auctions to come. And, I'm, I, you know, these Mertens ain't slowing up for me. So as long as I got Mertens in the incubator, in the raise-up cage, I'll always donate to the auction. When, uh, when we get off the recording, I've got a story for the, uh, the Arlington auction this year that you'll enjoy. Okay, you, you you know I put a coming eye in there, right? Yeah, it's about that. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I think I think I've now want uh, Kimberly Rock even more. Uh, <laughs> started on that cage. I had to start on the cage, which luckily I know a cage builder, so I can go ahead and get that done. Uh, but uh, I can get my cage built and then save up. I need all I need to do is go sell my rainbow boa babies that are in my snake room, and I can buy one. So, so as soon as I sell those rainbows, I'm good. Nice. Um, Jason, Travis, y'all have anything else to ask? I know we're coming uh, up on an hour and a half. No, not really. I just, I appreciate Mike coming on. Yes. Um, like I said, I feel like he's a great ambassador for these guys, not just for the little ones, you know, but, you know, for the coming guy and the Mertens and everything. But, you know, since we do focus more on the smaller things, simply because that's an easier way for people to, you know, to keep and get into these these charismatic species and have a piece of nature in their, you know, in their house that's easier to care for than, you know, a, a much larger lizard and just the passion and the knowledge base that Mike brings is greatly appreciated. So I'm glad we could have you on for this. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I have any other questions that I wanted to ask, but I really uh, enjoy your information and as well as your in insight and, and folks need to go check out his YouTube video. Go check out Dave's YouTube video while he was there. Anything, check that collection out because just those cages alone will make you rethink how you're keeping some of your animals. Uh, because, again, he's, Mike's not keeping a zoo, but if you walk into his basement, it's it's a small zoo exhibit. And it's it's great looking. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. And, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on here. Uh, I, I love to share what I do, my information, so – whether you bought from me or you didn't buy from me, whether you like me or you don't like me, I don't care about none of that. I'm in this. It's all about the animals and their well-being. So anybody, Facebook, Instagram, on Mike's Monitors, Mike's Monitors on YouTube, you can get Mike'sMonitors.com. I'm more than happy to answer questions for anybody, good, bad, indifferent. I don't care. It's about the well-being of the animals. And to be honest with you, I want you to enjoy your animals and your enclosure. And I want you to spread that throughout the people who may just be interested. And then they come and see a really cool setup that you have. It's just, it's a perpetual, uh, you know, it's a rolling ball and we need to keep it going. So I'm all about that. Awesome. That's awesome. I, I could not agree more. Uh, Travis. Wait, what? I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off one more thing. Very important, man. Very important. Anybody watching this, I don't care if you got a goldfish, uh, you keep a gerbil, a squirrel, skunk, whatever you got, man, join U.S. Arc. Um, they're our front line for fighting these. I'll be nice here. <laughs> fighting these 
who are coming after our animals. And it's it to me, I, I try not to get real political or anything, but it, it seems that in this world today, people don't want people to be happy. These animals make us happy. They're trying to take them away. Join the U.S. Ark. Do whatever you can. Donation. Uh, the, the minimum um, membership is very affordable for anybody. Uh, do what you can and join the U.S. Ark, man. Yes. And I think that brings up a point, too. Um, not just donations, but becoming a, a member. So, that, I mean, the bigger the member count that U.S. Ark has, I think, can really help. So, myself, I'm a member. I think I'm a silver membership, but I also did a bronze membership for my, my wife and each of my three kids. So, you know, right there, I could donate a certain amount, but now we, all of our, all of us are counted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. Myself, my wife. Become and a my member to, become, to bump the numbers because yep. it, it makes a lot more difference from the political front if U.S. Ark comes in and says, look, we're you know, we're representing 2 million pet keepers, you exactly, know, yeah. rather than, yeah, well, we've got 1200 members. I mean, that, that doesn't sound as much, you know, if you're not a member and I, I was, and am a little bit guilty of this, you know, before I would donate 20 bucks every time I would ship an animal. Yep. And I would say, you know, I'm doing more than just a basic $40 membership by doing that. Cause you know, I'm giving 200, $300 a year doing that. And that makes a bigger difference because I'm just filing the money in. Well, yeah, but my name as a number isn't there. And, you know, do so, both. Yeah. Right. Know, do both. Yeah. Do both of those things. Like, well, I have, Jason, I have, 40 bucks for the year is not a huge investment. I mean, don't go to Starbucks for a week and there you go. There's your 40 bucks. <laughs> right. I have eight kids and most of them are all members. So I do my, my me and my army, we do a little bit. So, did you say eight? Yeah, I have eight kids. Yeah. Holy cow! I thought I was busy with three, man. <laughs> well, you know what? But not, I got my TV fixed now, so everything's okay. It's slowed down. <laughs> uh, yeah, you on top of the U.S. Arc thing. Uh, just a little plug for our our sister podcast, the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. We sat down with Phil Goss at the NARBC Arlington and talked to him, and that was a great interview. So, uh, anybody wants to go check that over on the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. That's the 2022 February NARBC show, but uh, Phil is is awesome, and uh, he's he's doing more work than you think is possible from one human. Yep. So help yep. him out at least become a member. Like I said, my wife, myself, and my daughter are also all members, just because again we got we that's we got to give somehow and we want to help somehow, and that's that's what we did. Yep. Because before you know it, it's going to be too late, man. Yeah, and it's going to be very hard to go backwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The way it's designed, if that thing passes, yeah. it's nearly impossible to go backwards. It's how they designed it. Yep. And make sure if you haven't yet, because there's still time, write your senators. You know, write them an email, write them a letter. I mean, it's not that hard. Just type it up on the computer, print it off, put it in an envelope. Yep. And you know what? Chances are the way I, I got to watch myself with this political crap. But chances are they probably don't read every one of them. But when they go away for the weekend and they come back and they see 1,200 U.S. ARC members responding, you know, gets a little overwhelmed. You can't be ignored when we get to that point. And we're getting there. We're getting there. Well, And that's, that's why I said write a paper letter because it's a lot harder to ignore when they walk into their office and there's yeah. a, a 
a mail sack full of paper letters. Well, and also you know, their aides that are reading. emails is easy to just be select all with this, you know, subject and delete because well, that just goes right off the window. Their aides that are reading all those letters are also the ones that are skimming uh, these acts and telling them if they should worry about this and this and that. So if they read all these letters and see that there's a whole bunch of people that are upset about this one part, they're going to spread that on to the senators and all that as well. So. Yeah. All right, Travis, if people want to get a hold of you and they want your weird-ass email, how can they get a hold of you? <laughs> email is asplundii, A-S-P-L-U-N-D-I-I, at Gmail. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Travis Wyman. He Again, is the I'm motocross. Not the motocross He's racer. the motocross guy. Don't let him lie to you. It's him. Yeah. No, it's not me. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, snakes underscore N underscore bakes. All right, Jason, your turn. Uh, you can find me at Top Line Constrictors on Facebook or Top Line Constrictors uh, at gmail.com. Then you can find me at uh, Simply Serpents on Facebook and Simply Underscore Serpents on Instagram. Or you can reach out to us at the Reptile Gumbo Pod, our Reptile Gumbo Network, uh, or Reptile Gumbo Podcast. You can find me at either one. Uh, or you can find us on Facebook at Pint Size Reptile on Facebook. Uh, Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, hang out. I, I got a story to tell you once we get off of here. But uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. And your enthusiasm is infe- uh, contagious. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Don't. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Jason, don't say infectious with COVID going on. Stop that. I know. Almost, right? <laughs> uh, we will be back again in two weeks. Uh, this week, I'm trying to think what's going on. Oh, also going out this week on the network, there'll be two episodes for Reptile Gumbo uh, podcast because we did the Herps brian college station show and we did several interviews there uh some of them are not child friendly so just be careful when you listen to them uh there's a whole story about a stripper and a flashlight just saying it's a very interesting interview uh so go check out reptile gumbo podcast also uh and that's it we'll see everybody talk to everybody in two weeks all right later Night.